good morning. Well, again, it is a celebration day for us because our third birthday. So if, whether you've been here for three years or uh, three months or three minutes, we're, we're glad you're here with us. So welcome to Redemption Parker. This is a celebration for us, we're in this series right now, as Aaron already mentioned today, that we're in the, the Gospel of Matthew. And if you want to work your way to the ch- sixth chapter of Matthew, is where we're going to be today. And we're calling it the King in the Kingdom series, especially as we roll into 2020. We want to just reorient it, recalibrate our lives around the King and the Kingdom, and, and let everything else kind of fall from there. Last week, Jesus began to talk uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we said is the manifesto of what a Christian life looks like. It is Jesus establishing Christian culture uh, and and what he desires in his disciples. Uh, And today we're going to look at the ultimate invitation. Jesus came and hand-delivered an invitation to you and to me. He he left heaven in glory. He walked among us to give this invitation. The invitation is that you and I get to have a conversation with the king. Like like there's people in this world right now that that you look up to, that you you follow on on Twitter and Instagram and and you... uh, cheer for and sports like there, there, there's someone on this planet that's like hey I, I would like to have a conversation with you you would change everything to have that meeting you'd be like I'm go you would tell everybody that I'm gonna go meet this person because I've been invited to their presence maybe it's a politician maybe it's a person from uh the history what what there there is someone that you would change everything and then after you had that conversation you would tell that story every day of your life I mean, you, we get it, we're, we're name droppers. Like, yeah, I hung out with this person. And the crazy, the unthinkable thing this morning is that Jesus says that you can have a conversation with the king, the one who speaks the cosmos into existence. The, the door is open because not only did Jesus come and, and bring the invitation by hand and walk among us, he walked to Calvary and paid the price to open up the door for you and I to have a conversation with the king. It's unthinkable. But let me ask you this. How's your prayer life? How satisfied are you? I know I'm not. I know as a pastor for 20 years that that is the number one thing that most Christians point to. Man, it's really not what it should be. If we did an anonymous poll, we, we might get the results back on a scale of 1 to 10. How, how's it going? And collectively in this room, we might be a 2 or a 3. So, the, so there is a disconnect. And it's kind of, in the one hand, it's unique to, to us and our culture. On the other hand, the disciples wrestled with this as well. So some do better than others. I, I remember uh, several years ago, Francis Chan was uh, a pastor in Southern California. He got invited to come speak at a, a prayer gathering during the week uh, at, a, at a Korean church in, in South uh, California. And he's like, okay, I don't know what that's about. Like, I, I've been to prayer meetings. There's going to be like four people there. Uh, so I'll, I'll go to that. And so he drives an hour into Los Angeles and he gets to this church and the parking lot is full. He's there at 5.30 in the morning. 
He's like, what is going on? So, so he goes in and, and he, he walks in and they're, they're already praying. And, and he's like, man, did I, did I miss it? Did it was I, suppo- I thought I was supposed to be here at six. And he finally finds someone that he thinks is in charge. And he's like, so what's the deal? He's like, oh, this is the prayer, pre-prayer prayer meeting. He's like, what? Yeah, the, the, these people are just praying for the prayer meeting. He's like, What? <laughs> And so he's like, okay, so he does that. He's like, it's amazing. He's like, well, I get it. That, they, they probably just pumped this up. But this is Monday through Friday, right? They're going to do this. So tomorrow it'll be different. And so he drives in the next day, gets there a little bit early. But this time, there's no parking in the parking line. He has to drive down some side streets because it's full. And people are walking in and, and they're coming in. And it's like standing room only for the prayer meeting. And he's like, and it just, each day it gets more and more. And there's just a greater anticipation, a greater anticipation that they're going to have a conversation with the king. And at the end of the week, Francis is driving back to Simi Valley, driving back to his church. And he just goes, man, my church sucks. (laughs) I mean, why is there such a disconnect though? You know, when, uh, when the disciples walked with Jesus for three years, imagine all the things that they saw. Like, they, they saw amazing things. Like, I think we just take it for granted. Like, the first time they saw someone who was paralyzed for 40 years, and Jesus just says a word, and he gets up and walks. Like, uh, that's a story you tell the rest of your life, every day of your life. But this happened all the time with Jesus. And they're just just taking it in and he, he's healing people. He's, he's got power over the demonic forces. He's casting out demons and he's walking on the water. Uh, the storm comes up and he's like, stop it. Like in so many ways, he's walking in this power and the crowds are gathering. And, and then when the crowds would gather, the, the, the gospels often tell us that Jesus would withdraw to pray and be with his father. And the disciples would be like, no, no, Jesus, what are you, where are you going? The, 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 the need, the, all the need is over here. And he's like, yeah, I know the need is over here. That's why I got to go over here. And I got to spend some time with my father. You know, in, in light of all that, like, what, what, what would you ask Jesus for if you spent that time with him? Luke chapter 11, verse 1 tells us they asked for one thing. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Like they didn't say, teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't say, teach us how to walk on water, how to uh, feed the 5,000. They said, teach us how to pray because something's different. Like we see that the power that, that, that you have, that you walk in power comes from this time when you spend the night with your father uh, or early in the morning or in the middle of the day. Like th- there's something different about the way you pray and the way we pray. So Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say, oh, come on, whatever. You're good Jewish boys. Just pray. Just say whatever you want. No, he's like, I'm glad you asked. Because there's a right way to pray and there's wrong ways to pray. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, we we get an echo of that uh, same thing. And it's interesting because in Luke chapter 11 and in the Sermon on the Mount, um, there's similarities to what we call the Lord's Prayer. But in, in Luke, he leaves out a line, changes some words, and they aren't like, hey, Jesus, you messed up the Lord's prayer. Like, it's your prayer. You messed it up. Because the point isn't the specific words. It's the model that he's going to give them and give us today in conversation with the king. 
So before we go there, we, we should ask the question, because this is not, this is in, in no way meant, like when, when you preach on prayer, I think it's even more difficult than Christmas and Easter, because you've heard it all. Like th- there's nothing I'm going to say here that's going to be like, oh, now I'm going to start praying all the time. Like our only hope is just to uh, once again remind you of the amazing opportunity and invitation and the power available to us in prayer and that God would do, begin to do a work in us as a church that makes us a people of prayer. I, I believe this is a crossroads moment for us as a church at year three. The question is, are we going to just kind of uh, be happy with a little bit of prayer, happy with a little bit of service, happy with a little bit of worship, happy with a little bit of impact? Or are we going to take hold of the reins that God says, you take hold of this for power in your life individually and together? That, that's my hope. So this isn't going to be a sermon like, hey, drive by guilting. You know, Jesus died for you. Why aren't you praying? No, that doesn't work. That, that works till you get to the car and then you're done. I just want you to see just the, the amazing opportunity, the amazing grace that God offers us. And if you remember last week when Jesus in the Beatitudes that grounds this whole sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, if there's anything in you that's like, man, I, I, I don't pray like I want to, that I, I want more, then Jesus says, you're blessed. That's evidence of grace. If you're totally content and you don't pray, well, then you're missing the point. So, so let me just say, if, if there's any kind of dissatisfaction, praise God for that. He's going to use that. He's going to work in that. But we should ask the question, though, why don't we pray? I, I'm going to give four, four reasons why we, I, I think we don't pray, and I think there's many, many more. But I think the first one is the ground of all the other ones. It's one in 21st century America we don't like to talk about that much. But the Bible talks about it. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, we've already seen that the first reason we don't pray is because there is a spiritual warfare going on. There is a spiritual battle raging in the heavenly realms. And in our enlightened minds and in our capability, we don't like to think or talk about this, but the Bible does. Jesus battled. First, he, he fasted for 40 days and he battled with, in prayer. He battled the devil. We saw that earlier in this series, but, but even throughout the Bible. In the book of Daniel... Daniel is in Babylonian captivity and he has begun a 21-day fast in prayer. And he's praying and he's fasting and he's pleading with God to move and to show up in power. And for 21 days, it looks like nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then God sends him a vision. God sends him an angel. It's terrifying. If God was to peel back the, the veil between the heavenlies and, and we'd all be terrified, we'd all be in our faces right now, but he peels it back a little bit. And this is what happened in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. It says, then he said to me, this is the angel that it shows up to Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Meaning you, your prayers are effective, Daniel. Oh, it doesn't look like it for 21 days. It doesn't look like you've been praying all day for 21 days, but, but fear not. Your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. And then he says this, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Implication, there, there is a demonic force, a demonic prince in Persia that the, a battle spiritually was going on between these two angels for 21 days. 
Then it says, but Michael, the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So, so uh, because you prayed, God moved, God sent reinforcements, God sent Michael the archangel, and, and now I have come to you and I've come to say your prayers have been heard. There is a, like, there's way too much to unpack there. That's not the point of this sermon, but just know that, that there is a demonic spiritual force that's going on that desperately wants to keep you from praying. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament then. Paul, concluding his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, we love this passage, put on the whole armor of God, right? We're like, oh, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet with, uh, for the readiness for the gospel, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we stop there. We think the whole point is to get dressed for battle. That's not the point. I mean, anyone in the military knows, like, yeah, you start there, but the point is to advance the mission. And in verse 18 of chapter 6, it says, "Do so I'll start it with 17, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. The whole point you put on the whole armor of God is to engage the enemy in battle and that engagement happens in prayer. And so the first reason we don't pray is because we're ignorant of the spiritual forces that are at work in the world. Paul says it earlier in the chapter, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the demonic forces of this present age. So so there's a real spiritual battle. The way you can punch the devil in the mouth is pray. That's why uh, Samuel Chadwick, I have a quote on the screen here, says this about spiritual warfare. He said, Satan, do I have that quote? Good. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So we just got to be aware. There's a real spiritual battle going on. And, and out of that spiritual battle, I think, are the other three that I wanted to talk about. We, we are the most uh, distracted people in the history of the planet, Right? Does anyone remember what it was like to be bored? You know what I'm talking about? Like 10 years ago, you didn't have an iPhone. You had to go to the DMV and you're like, oh, for an hour, I have to just sit there with DMV people. (laughs) And you just had to be bored. Now it's like DMV, extra hour, angry birds, like whatever, like whatever your thing is, social media, like does anyone remember what it was like to go to the bathroom without your phone? <laughs> Come on. Like, it's ridiculous. It's like, and and it, what it does is it forces us as a shallow society to get even more shallow. Just kind of always skipping along the surface like a stone on the water. Just skip along the surface. We are the most distracted people. Well, the distractions militate against any kind of depth. And one of the things with prayer is that the point is to bring us deep, to bring us into, to to change us, to make us uh, people that have intimacy and awe with God. That just can't happen quickly. It can't happen a distracted way. Blaise Pascal, who wrote 470 years ago in his book, 
penses, which means thoughts, he just railed against this idea of uh, what he called, not distractions, I think it's up here. He called it, um, uh, what did he call Diversions, same thing. He, railed, he, he just looked around 470 years ago. Everyone's diverting themselves from what that, that which really matters. 470 years ago. I'm thinking 470 years ago, what would you do but pray? But Pascal's like, there is a crisis going on with all the diversions. Here's what he says. The only thing that consoles us for our miseries is diversion. And yet, it is the greatest of our miseries. But for that, we should be bored. And boredom would drive us to seek some more solid means of escape. But diversion passes our time and brings us imperceptibly to our death. Do you really want to get to the end of your edge and be like, show me my total screen time, God, (laughs) and put that up against my prayer time? Okay, that's too convicting. But you know what I'm saying, like... We don't want to skip across. So we're, we're distracted. There's spiritual warfare. We're distracted. We are self-sufficient. I mean, I think this is the, one of the reasons why in the suburbs we are the least prayerful people. Because in a, in a shallow way, way that says, man, stuff satisfies you. And now with Amazon, ridiculous. Buy now. It might show up today. Like, I don't even leave the house anymore. Like, I'm just like hoping that if, if I click that button, I'll get that little dopamine shot on my brain and all will be good until the next buy now moment. We're self-sufficient. We don't really mean it when we say, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> I've got like moldy bread because I got so much. I mean, just self-sufficiency militates against this draw for us to... Which is also why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are needy. Like, there is often a connection between material poor and spiritually poor uh, coming to God because they aren't self-sufficient. So, so that, there's, and then uh, the, the last one, what, what, I'm trying to remember what I have. The last one, oh yeah, just unbelief. We've got to battle unbelief. So prayer is either a conversation with the creator of the cosmos who by his grace and his mercy has invited us in by his son through his blood to come to him, to bring our our worry, our fear, our anxiety, bring everything to him. It's either that or it's not. It's all all make-believe. So so I get it if you're like, that's make-believe. I'm never gonna pray. You shouldn't go to church either. Like, I get it if you land there. But if you believe that it is conversation with the king, what doesn't make any sense is this kind of half-heartedness. Like, yeah, I pray sometimes. He's a king, creator of the cosmos, knows all things, in control of every molecule in the universe. But, but I also got busy. I'm busy. Like, there, there, it, there's just this unbelief in us that we have to wrestle with. It's part of the spiritual warfare. And so we remind ourselves what's true in prayer. We remind ourselves. That's why we gather every week. That's why uh, when I preach the gospel for the vast majority of you, it's the same thing you heard the week before and the week before because our hearts and our minds just need to be renewed to the truth. Oh yeah, that's right. That's true. It is conversation with the king. And so Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. It's a prayer uh, that you, again, already know, but... Um, I want us to do something a little bit different this morning. If we are going to uh, actually become people of prayer, then I'm, I'm going to have us pray. And so don't, don't freak out, even though in the Bible, the church always prays together. Uh, 
Because we're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer, we're not going to be praying it like maybe you learned as a kid in Catholic church or wherever where you just pray that prayer. I'm going to get to a point in the sermon where I'm just kind of walking us through and in your seat you can, with your eyes open or maybe if you're, you want to bow your head but silently you're going to, we're just going to kind of spend some time praying. You'll find that you can pray for 10 minutes. You'll, we'll pray like that. But Jesus gives us some instructions to kind of unlocking our prayer life in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is kind of, uh, he's actually talking about a few things. He's talking about our giving, our praying, and our fasting. And he's basically saying there's a wrong way to give and there's a right way to give. There's a wrong way to pray and there's a right way to give. Uh, There's a um, wrong way to fast and a right way to fast. And he basically is pushing back against any kind of religiosity, any kind of uh, doing your works to kind of be seen by one another. And so in fasting, he's like, uh, and in, in giving, he's like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. If you make a big deal out of it, that's your whole reward. People clap for you and be like, oh, good for you. You're, you're very generous. And he's like, that's your whole reward. In your praying, don't, don't be real. Well, we'll get to that. In your fasting, don't act like, don't tell everybody, hey, I'm fasting. <laughs> he's like, no, no one should know you're fasting uh, because it's between you and the Father. But, but Jesus gives us three things to unlock our prayer life if we'll just kind of embrace these here. Uh, let me pick it up in, uh, I'll pick it up in verse five. Say, listen carefully, this is God's word. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? To be seen by others. Man, he's really religious. Well, congratulations. That's all you got out of that prayer. Verse six. But, and here's the first key to unlocking prayer. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Jesus starts his teaching on how to pray with a very simple thing. You've got to have a time and a place. So at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you to take the connect card, not to turn it in, but to keep it yourself, but to write down a time and a place. It's very, very simple. And maybe you don't never pray. Maybe this week you say, I'll pray one time in this time, in this place. I'll pray three times in this time, in this place. But, but there's something extremely simple and effective about just writing it down for yourself. I, I have a leadership coach, a pastor coach uh, that... I meet with every week. And, and what he has us do is every week we, we do a review and a preview. So, so we, re, we review our week on Friday afternoon and we pre- preview the next week. We review what we wanted to do and we preview what we want to do. And, and there's just something incredibly effective of just taking that time and saying, here we go. And, and it's effective next week. If you don't have a time and a place, you won't pray. We've already said our life is too busy. Our lives are too distracted. There's too much going on. But if you pick a time and a place, you'll be surprised how your prayer life will immediately change. This is true in in so many areas of our lives, by the way. And you know it already. Like if you pray this week, you you, you probably won't be much of a different person next week. If you eat junk food all this week, you won't be that much of a difference. If you never exercise this week, you won't, won't be that different. If you're not that great with your finances this week, Depending, you could trash your future, but, um, 
But this consistency of over time that shapes us into uh, better financial stewards, better prayers, better health-wise, that's what we're getting at with a time and a place. So when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pick a time, pick a place, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So that's the first one is pick a time and a place. The second one is pursue your reward. There is a reward to prayer. Seven times in this passage, uh, Jesus is going to talk about reward. The rewards of the hypocrites and the rewards of those that are poor in spirit. There is a reward. But with the hypocrites, he says what the reward is. That's to be seen by men. But he doesn't say what the reward is for us. Why is that? Well, because when you go into your room, shut the door, and meet with your father who is unseen, what do you think the reward is? Your reward is God. Your reward is you get to be in his presence. You get awe and intimacy. That is the reward. The creator of the cosmos has time for you. Like, that is amazing. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, asked this question. If you could go to heaven have all the benefits of heaven, meet old friends that have gone away, have all the beauty, all the taste, all the flavor, all the pleasures of heaven without God being there, would you want it? And he says, that's not heaven, that's hell. The God is the gospel. The primary thing you get in prayer is you get God. You think, well, no, I thought we got to get what God, we asked from God. No. I mean, that, that becomes part of it, but we'll see. That's way down the list. So, so my, I was thinking about this this week. My, my mom passed away seven years ago. I can go to her house now and, and see the beauty of her design. She was an interior designer. I can go and uh, see stuff that she's done. I can remember things. I, I could uh, see stuff that she's built. I could enjoy her house. I can enjoy all that. But you know what would be the best blessing? If my mom was there and I was just with her, the reward of prayer is God. You get God. So pursue your reward. Make a time and a place. He goes on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. This is not about repetition, not even necessarily about the amount of time that you spend It's not about magical incantation to get God to do what you want. It says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You're like, well, Jesus, I thought that was the whole point. I I just, all my prayers look like me just asking God for a lot of things. And you're telling me, well, he already knows, and why should I pray? Well, he goes on, he says, well, because your reward is God. So we pick a time and a place, we pursue our reward, and then, oh yeah, I was trying to think, what was my third point? My third point is, I went to seminary for this one, okay? My third point is, pray how Jesus taught you how to pray. Huh? No applause for that? I spent like $40,000 on that right there. (laughs) Pray the prayer, Jesus taught you how to pray. Call it the Lord's Prayer. Again, he had just said it's not about the words. It's not about the repetition. 
And if you grew up in a context where you said this, that, that might be beneficial. If you grew up in a context where this was a punishment, go pray the Lord's Prayer. That really misses the point. This is about the heart of worship. This is about aligning our hearts. And again, in Luke's gospel, he, he kind of changes some things and leaves out a verse because the point is not these specific words. The point is the heart that he's pointing us to. So we're going to look at that together. We're going to go slowly through this because I'm going to ask you to be praying these things in your seat right now. So he starts out, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start with God. I'll say this also, be yourself. Pray what you got. God does not care if you can pray like you read out of a King James Version Bible. In fact, that probably works against you. There's something beautiful and refreshing about just honest words that are your words when you come to God. Like, like have you ever prayed with someone that maybe just accepted Christ? Like, I did military ministry for a while, so uh, sometimes I'd pray with someone that just accepted Christ and be like, okay, so now you're, gonna, you're just going to talk with God. You're going to do that. And it's like, okay, what do I say? I'm just, just your own words. And they, they, they like start cussing. And you're like, okay, um, yeah, man, uh, just pray what, pray what you got. Like, that's, that's good. That's good. So pray what you got. So when, when Jesus says, start with our Father, this is radical. No other religious teacher in the world up to this point had ever started there. I mean, lots of religions and, uh, start with the, the, the mightiness of God, and that's, that's a good place too. But Jesus says, start with our Father. Now, you might have, have come from a place where that, that, that's hard for you, so bring that to God. God, you say start with our Father, but I've got, I've got issues with my own Father, and I, I don't know how, how to uh, deal with you. Like, that's okay. Bring that to Him. He can take that. But it starts with this, this intimacy. Our Father. We, we get to go into the throne room of God, but not, He's not just our Father. Our Father in heaven, that doesn't speak of place, but of authority, supremacy, dominion. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so right now, just be praying like our Father in heaven. Just think about that. There's this tension in prayer. You know, in the ancient Near East, not even wives could just show up unannounced in the throne room of the king. They could be put to death for that. You know who could show up unannounced? The kids. And Jesus says, you can come. You're you're not just uh, forgiven slaves. You are redeemed sons and daughters. So you can come into his presence and say, our father who art in heaven with this tension Hallowed be your name. This is just a heart of worship. In, your, in my life, Lord, I want to start this prayer saying, I want you to be magnified. I want your name to be lifted up. So maybe you're thinking right now as you're praying, and I hope you're praying, you're thinking of what that would look like. You're asking God, be magnified, be glorified, be lifted up. Maybe you're relating, or you're relating to God right now as Father. Maybe that's a new thought. Let's, let's go on to the next verse. 
So we start, start in worship. We start vertically. And when we see God, who He is as the sovereign one, the good one, the, the Father, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, all the attributes of God. This is why theology matters. Theology should fuel our worship. It should fuel our prayer. When, when you see God for who He is, then you come to verse 10, which I really think is the crux of the prayer. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith intersects life. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a dangerous prayer. Have you ever prayed this prayer and meant it? You can only really pray this prayer if you start with verse 9 and see God who he, who he is. And maybe in your time, in your, your, your prayer closet, whatever, when you shut the door, maybe verse 9 is just listening to an amazing worship song and singing along with it to center yourself so that when you come to verse 10 and you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a dangerous, scary prayer. That's God saying, I want you to take the reins of your life and I want you to hand them over to me. And you're like, well, God, what, what are you going to do? Here's what God's going to do. I'm going to make you more like Jesus. But, but Jesus, Jesus had a hard life, God. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Jesus had a cross to bear. Yeah. But remember who we're talking to. The king of the universe. The eternal one. He's got eternal plans for you. He, 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 he's not looking at the next 10 years or the next 100 years, the next billion years. He, he, he wants to do a work in you that is so transformative that forever and ever and ever you'll be grateful. But in the moment, man, that's hard, right? I uh, preached this sermon once on this this. Just this verse, and I call it dangerous prayers. And I just challenge people. I said, you know, consider praying some dangerous prayers. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. See what happens. I know two families now that have adopted kids because of that. I know a family that is in Indonesia on the mission field because of that. They felt their whole life, yeah, God is calling me to, to something, but I, I really also want to just pursue my thing. I want to do my will. I want to live for my glory. But, but in this moment, this, this rubber meets the road moment, okay, Lord, your will be done. So, so what is it for you right now? How are you praying that prayer right now? How long does that take? It depends. It took Jesus several hours at one point. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying verse 10. He's about to go to the cross and he says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He gets up. Again, the disciples have failed in prayer again. I just love the honesty of the Bible because I fail in prayer. The one moment, the one time, the most important moment in the history, he says, just pray with me, guys. And they're like, yeah, we got to fall asleep. Because <laughs> I've done that. But Jesus doesn't just pray it once. He comes back again. Not my will, but your will. Comes back again. Not my will, but your will. He had to wrestle with this. 
So, so I'm not saying that, like, that, that this is going to be a quick, easy thing. This might be months. This might be years. Like, God, I, I feel like you're calling me to that. I'm just not there. I'm wrestling. This is hard for me. But if you understand verse 9, he is good. He's your father. He's sovereign. He's got good purposes and plans that his will is better than our will. Then you can pray verse 10. And after you pray those two things, you might be done. <laughs> you might be exhausted. But then you can go to verse 11, where we usually just go to immediately. Give us. <laughs> Give us. Give us this day our daily bread. This is just because he's our father, because he's good. He invites us to pray. Later on in chapter 7, he says, you have a good heavenly father who gives good gifts. And so we get to, we get to thank God. We get to show gratitude. God, you have given me daily bread. In fact, you've given me more than I need. Is there anyone that you want me to bless with my abundance? We can pray that. Or we can say, God, I'd like to have this thing. Father, could I have that? And, and I trust that you're good. I trust that you have my good purposes, but I'd like to have this relationship. I'd like to have a, a kid. I'd like to go have this adoption go through. I'd like to have whatever. You can ask God. He invites us to ask. This is a point to ask. Again, how long does that take? Well, how long, however long it takes. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. This is kind of our, our confession as we have forgiven our debtors. This is, we, we know as, as children of God, we've been forgiven by, by Christ, but, but we still sin. We still do our own thing. And so just to reconcile the relationship vertically, we come and just say, God, I acknowledge where I've fallen short. And we bring that to him. And so right now, you just kind of, this is what Aaron's already done for us, but uh, in our confession time, but we just kind of look and say, yeah, I've done my thing. I've done my will. I've gone after my thing. And then so I, I just confess that. I want to reconcile with you. And rec- vertical reconciliation always then should flow out to horizontal reconciliation. So we also have forgiven our debtors. So right now, maybe you're thinking of people in your life that, man, there, there's some, there's a rift. Maybe it goes deep, 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 deep. Maybe it goes way, way back. And God is just saying, hey, as I've forgiven you, I want you to forgive them. Again, how long does that take? It might take a while. <laughs> not, not downplaying any wounds or, or anything like that, but but forgiveness is for you. Like, unforgiveness is hurting you. It's like uh, eating rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You're poisoning yourself. And so again, this all flows together. If, if you see God for who he is, and you've asked his will to be done, and you realize he's provided everything, that he's forgiven you, then and only then that you might have just a little bit of strength to say, not my will, but your will be done. Let me forgive. And again, you know, one $30,000 seminary insight, the word amen, when we say amen, it means truly your truth. But what I learned in seminary once that when you say amen, you're not only saying, God, do this. You're, you're, you're saying, I agree with you, God, that to the end that you want to use me to make this happen, Amen. So you should be careful with your amen. So if you say, I, I want to be a forgiving person, amen, God's going to say, so go forgive people. And then there's one more verse that we're going to pray together. And 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's just saying, God, you know how my heart's wired. You know where I'm prone to wander. You know where I often stumble and fall. And so before I have to come and ask for forgiveness for my debts, would you just go before me? Would you just help me to walk in wisdom and and step with your spirit? Would you just lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Just a recognition that there is a spiritual war. So just be praying that right now. What does that look like for you? How do you ask God to do that for you? So congratulations, you prayed for 10 minutes. You can do this. Now, here's my encouragement for us. I, I, don't, I don't want you to be like, okay, tomorrow I got four hours. I'm praying for four hours. That's like those guys that go to the gym and like, I'm going to do every muscle in my body and I'm not going to go back for another year because I'm just going to be so sore. Like, don't try that. If you never pray, then I would say, hey, can you pick a time and a place this week? Just one time, one place. I, I would encourage you maybe to do three in fact, uh, we're going to have three times this week that as a church, we're just going to kind of encourage you. I picked morning, noon, and night. So Monday morning at 7 a.m., just know it, that when you go into your time and place, there are going to be other people in this church that are going to be praying as well. So you, in fellowship with the saints, you're going to pray. Maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe you're a lunchtime person. Maybe you just even consider fasting. Fasting is just a, a spiritual discipline to say, I'm going to deny to my body so that my hunger for my body reminds me of my hunger for you. And so when you feel those hunger pains, it, it prompts you to pray. And so maybe Wednesday, you just fast through lunch and you pray. Maybe you're a night person. I, I I've kind of gone through different stages in my life, but I've often been a night person. So 9 p.m., like I'm going to, on Friday, I'm just going to close the door. I'm going to pray. And it might be three minutes. It might be 30 minutes. It, it doesn't matter. But pick a time and a place. Pursue your reward and pray how Jesus taught us. Now, again, my, my hope is that as a church, Jesus would begin to just press in on us in this area. We are at a crossroads moment. You know, those disciples that asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus taught them. It took them a while. Like I said already, they failed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in the book of Acts, when Jesus sends the Spirit, what we find the church often doing, and those same disciples often doing, is they are praying together, and God moves in power through them. And our prayer, uh, just even before we did this series, we looked at this passage and we said, how can we as a people become more of a prayer for people? God, do this in us. Because I don't know about you. I mean, I love that God has brought us through three years uh, of faithfulness at at Redemption Parker. But as I look at the next three years, I don't want to just be satisfied with a little bit of prayer, a little bit of worship, a little bit of giving, a little bit of service, and a little bit of impact. And so it starts with prayer. So let's be a people of prayer. To that end, let me pray for us. We'll come to this table. So Father, thank you for your word to us. Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of all of our praise, honor, glory. You are good, you are merciful, you are wise. Lord, we do pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Even Holy Spirit, as you've spoken to people with Some hard words, Lord, may you also give them comfort right now, knowing that you have their ultimate good for your glory and their joy in mind as you've asked them to hand over the reins. 
Lord, we do pray that you give us this day our daily bread, help us to get home safe and uh, enjoy our time together and just continue in a spirit of worship together uh, in our families. Lord, thank you that you've forgiven us our, our debts. Uh, Lord, in Jesus, we, pray, we sung nothing but the blood has, has paid the way. Lord, help us to be not only a forgiven people, but a forgiving people for whatever that looks like in this room. Lord, I pray that this week that you would just guard our, our paths, lead us not into temptation. Lord, but the, as we walk in this world in spiritual warfare, that we would uh, just walk with a sense of your presence, your protection, and your mission in our lives to serve and honor you. We ask this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.